What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, we continue on with The Dresden Files. We're talking today about Book 14, Cold Days. Things are really starting to shift now at this point in the series, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this next segment. Drew, would you kindly fill us in about Book 14? Yeah, it's it's uh, really funny you say things are starting to shift because my summary starts. The Dresden Files fully moves into its second act with <laughs> Cold Days, the 14th That was volume. not practiced. I swear to God, that was not practiced. It was not practiced. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, my man. Keep going. Harry Dresden wakes from his coma in the care of Mab, the unseelie queen, and is put through a grueling rehabilitation program. As he regains strength and body mass, Mab attempts to kill him in increasingly more sadistic ways. Harry and his caretaker, Sarissa, barely survive. But survive they do, until it is time for Harry to be introduced to the Winter Court. Maeve and her scions attempt to maneuver Harry into breaking Mab's laws, but he stays on the right side. The Red Cap confronts him and takes Sarissa hostage, but Sarissa has some tricks up her own sleeve and helps Harry defeat him. As the party continues, Mab dances with Harry and gives him his first true command as the Winter Knight. He must kill Maeve. With that monumental task ahead of him, Harry heads back to Chicago and first steals Bob as he needs the knowledge encased in that skull. Bob reveals that immortals can be killed during a conjunction, something like, I don't know, Halloween night, which just so happens to be around the corner. He then reconnects with Toot Toot, but is attacked by a swarm of enemy little folk. Molly saves him and takes him to her new apartment. He quickly finds out that Demon Reach is at a critical juncture. A massive amount of power is building at the island, and if it goes off, it will essentially nuke the central United States. He heads out to the island to investigate. And Demon Reach reveals to him that it's actually a prison of the most horrific entities in existence. If they're released, the island will self-immolate to keep them from running wild. A magic attack is impending, which will cause such an apocalypse, and it's up to Harry to find out where, and more importantly, when, that attack will happen. Desperate, Harry arranges a meeting with Odin at Max Bar. Afterward, an outsider attacks, and Harry barely drives it off. From there, he meets with Lily and Maeve, who reveal that there is a corrupting virus infecting the, the magical world, and it's being directed by a, a an enemy called Nemesis. In the process of this, they tell Harry that Mab is a victim of the corruption. After another attempt on his life by the Red Cap, Harry seeks out the Summer and Winter Mothers for answers. The Summer Mother takes him to the Outer Gate, where a full-scale war is being waged against the Outsiders, and Rashid the Gatekeeper is on duty. Rashid reveals that Harry is the only one who can sway events at this point, and Harry heads back to Chicago, armed with knowledge. With the clock ticking, Harry lays out a plan. Thomas, Murphy, Molly, and many others get behind him, and events swing into motion. As they're setting off for Demon Reach, however, the Wild Hunt arrives, and they're hunting Harry. He and Murphy engage them, leading them on a chase, 
and eventually wounding the Arrow King and Chris King, Chris Kringle. (laughs) (laughs) And Harry takes command of the hunt. He leads them to battle against the Outsiders, stopping them from setting off their ritual on Demon Reach. But he still has to deal with the Fey Ladies. Harry finds Maeve and Lily at the summit of Demon Reach, trying to break in. He fights Fix and convinces him that Maeve is actually the one who's corrupted. After a harrowing encounter, he summons Mab, who triggers a standoff. Maeve kills Lily, and the Summer Lady mantle settles on Sarissa's uh, shoulders. In turn, Murphy kills Maeve, and an unsuspecting Molly becomes the new Winter Lady. As the dust settles, Harry remains on Demon Reach, intent on cleansing himself of an unknown parasite, but not before he has a heartfelt conversation with Murphy about the potential relationship they might have. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. You you inspired me there at the last second to make a a little addition to my final draft here, but... Mm. Wow. Okay, so, cold days. Um, So, Jim Butcher... My opinion. We're going into this entire this this next uh, chapter, if you will, of the series. And Butcher's writing, in my opinion, as, as if he gets to have a little more fun with this one. Our opening in Arctis Tour. I mean, it's 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 really dark for obvious reasons, but it's still mm-hmm. it's 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 really it's it's I mean, it's really cool in terms of setting. We have the, this this birthday party on the fairy dance floor in particular. I, I found that to be like really really cool. Um, in terms of our basic person on person person on person conflicts, it's very simple. Um, we're picking up on you know momentum with Harry as he does. He's assuming his mantle as the Winter Knight, but it's every bit as scary for us as it is badass. It's it still not meant to feel right there's this very underlying tone of unease throughout all of this when we see him especially when he's you know uh he's he's freezing somebody and they're just blasting them apart into chunks and it's 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 honestly scary and so there's this kind of intimidation factor throughout this whole thing this underlying darkness that i found uh really gave this particular volume a lot of I don't know substance. It was a lot. Of, I I loved this book. Cold days. I cannot wait to talk. This is going to be a long episode for us because I have a huge, huge note file about it. But um, yeah, what do you think? Let's talk about this this darkness in it. Yeah, I I think from a from a purely like literary and storytelling perspective, this is the best book in the series so far. Wow. Okay. Yes. Um. Obviously, I'm not a huge Harry Dresden fan, like, like just in terms of the character. But this is one of the only times in the whole series where Butcher has made Harry a compelling character on his own. Like having having a a clear internal conflict having Harry wrestling with this uh, in, enraging, violent power within himself was such a smart move. Like, we needed this kind of thing. Uh, and and I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, like, leaving this book, I'm like, I, I actually care about what's happening with Harry now. So, not after changes... After this one. No. 
Correct. Okay. Okay. And it's because of this winter mantle, or not necessarily because of this winter mantle, but because of what this winter mantle kind of does to his character and how it adds an additional dimension of his struggle, perhaps? I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, like, get a feel for why this is the point. Book 14 in the series is where you're starting to come around yeah. on our main character. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to say that I like Harry, but I, I am going to say that I'm interested in his internal struggle okay. at this point. Hmm. Everything I've been interested in before this book has been the external plot level conflict. The war between the wizards and the vampires. You know, the uh, the magical assault upon the world by the Black Council. And, and now we're like, okay, you know, not maybe not the Black Council, but Nemesis. Uh, the Outsiders. Um... You know, there that that kind of stuff has always been interesting to me. But Harry himself, I've never felt any kind of investment in his personal conflicts, um, like what it means to be Harry Dresden. Mm-hmm. Uh, here now, I'm like, okay, this is an interesting thing for Harry Dresden to grapple with. Right, right. This is something for him to directly struggle against, like. Okay, I see. I can kind of see what you're saying. I, I've been, I would say, I, I've been pretty invested in Harry since probably book four. I, I, I got on board pretty quickly. Um, but I had I had faith yeah. that you'd get there. I was really surprised that you didn't after after changes. That was a, that was a pretty uh, um, <laughs> a pretty interesting talk that we had on that episode. But I'm, I'm glad that you that you've gotten here at this point too. Harry, I've decided honestly. We we just did our um newsletter for december today as of the recording of this episode and in that newsletter i decided you know what i'm just gonna come out and say it the dresden files i think are one of my favorite series of all time and that is in large part because of harry dresden for me harry dresden has connected in a in a profound way over many books at this point and so it kind of feels good to hear you say that it's 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 great yeah all right all right here's here's a question for you then bring it of the series we've read this year, where does the Dresden Files rank? Number one, without question. Better than Illuminae Files, Divine Cities, Black Company, Gap Cycle. Better than all those? Yes. It is slightly slightly higher in my uh, opinion than Illuminae Files, yes. But I think that is in large part because of how much extra work... Butchers had to do over fourteen books. If Christoph and Illuminate, or sorry, if Christoph and Kaufman did uh two or three more Illuminate books and they were all as good, I don't know if I would. It would be hard to choose, but yeah, Dresden Files is number one. I think wow. the most emotionally impactful book itself, though, was still City of Blades. I mean, oh god, Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still That's think the best Bennett book is my. I've read this. No, year. no, no. Bennett is still, <laughs> I think, my second favorite currently writing author behind Sanderson. But uh, Dres- the Dresden Files this year have overall, because of their enormous uh, library of currently published work, it's hmm. yeah. Okay. Because of how much is there, I it still takes my place over uh, Bennett's trilogy there. But Bennett's trilogy, I think, is word for word, yes, higher in quality. City of Blades was my favorite book this year still. Yeah, not counting rereads, uh, City of Blades is 
my number one of of uh, yeah. 2021. <laughs> so you and I still have the same yeah. number one book. Yeah, yeah. That, that book was just crushing. Un- it unbelievable. Was so good. Robert Jackson uh, Bennett. Uh, I did, I was not expecting to bring up Robert Jackson Bennett in this episode, but yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, more of him, of course. He's yeah, so good. you know it is. But but in in the yeah, just to show how different our opinions are here, uh, I I think I would put the Dresden Files above Illuminae. Okay, but I would put it below Divine Cities, Gap Cycle, and Black Company. Oh, yeah. Oh, Black Company. Okay, we started Black Company before. Yeah. Though, that's right? true like, we we only in 2021 i think we only read maybe the last two books i mean dresden would still take so perhaps that's not fair over the black company without question but yeah i wasn't even considering the black the, the black cycle the black company in that uh yeah huh no black company was yeah. definitely solid though but yeah yeah uh, the dresden files has been my oh my favorite overall this year it's it's been a Oh, shitload of fun. Um, we're, I mean, we're getting this. We're getting increasing magnitudes now. We're we're adding layers to the threat. Now that we're in the latter half of the series, we not only do we have the most literal, explosive threat to date with this nuclear level extinction event with hundreds of imprisoned creatures on demon reach and in the the eruption coming, but the proverbial the gloves are off with the end game threat now too. We have clear ish names, you know. Yeah. descriptions we, we're seeing direct conflicts now with the outsiders the outer gates nemesis you brought it up earlier we have its name we've talked to the fairy mothers about it we're talking straight facts with rashid it's time for the real game to begin it's it's had some spectacular opening moves uh empty so, night the constant I'm... cursing by empty night hearing mother summer herself say empty night uh, i'm just butchers on fire with this series at this point sorry go ahead continue i'm still not certain what? The outsiders are going to be the end, you know, the the final what? antagonist. Really? Because the archangels and the swords are not interested. We still have Nicodemus. We still have the fallen. And they seem to be something entirely separate ah. from the outsiders. Okay. And I'm... I'm waiting for something else to happen that's going to unify the threats because the the course of this series has been setting up all of these disparate antagonists and threats mm-hmm. and and conflicts and slowly merging them as we go on. Uh And, and and it's certainly been funneled. You know, we, we've removed some threats, uh, like the Red Court, for instance. But yeah. it, it, it still hasn't been completely united into one substantial final threat. And right now, I feel like we have two of them. And, and those are Nicodemus and the Outsiders. Okay. We have but... the Fallen and the Outsiders. And, and I, I'm curious to see if or when those are going to be united into one sort of final See, climactic this is what the series is all about type thing since nicodemus and the fallen and and all of them are of this universe i i've been expecting the ultimate struggle to be with nicodemus and all of them in his gang actually siding up with 
Harry and his entire side, and this war being against the outsiders who are trying to come in and, and obliterate or take over this universe. That's where I think the uh, the I, ultimate I struggle is going. I can't accept that at face value, though. Yeah, Nicodemus is a slimy, seen... smarmy... I, I don't sure, know how sure. I can see that happening. I think he needs to die before that happens, and maybe we just do something else, but yeah. But no, my my point is that we've already seen the outsiders working in concert with uh, the Red Court. We've already seen them working in concert with Earth-bound corporeal. Oh, yeah. I feel, I feel know, like, like they're just um, and, influencing. And so I I I I have a hard time seeing any sort of alliance happening based on the the foundation of, oh, well, we're all from Earth, and we're all from here, and they're from there. They're the Others, with a capital O. Yeah. So we got to band together. Because we've point, already yeah. seen people from here who are not Others with a capital O banding with them, fighting with, with the Outsiders, bringing them in, helping them. Yeah, I see them, that as an, as an influence you know? thing, though. Like, the Outsiders are outsmarting them, in a way. And the Outsiders have this larger game that humanity or even the immortals even the fairy just cannot fathom i think that like they are bigger and more threatening than that i think even like the the you know the the fairy mothers themselves are kind of outmatched even and kind oh, 100%, of 100 percent. yeah i mean we 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 see it i would just this book uh, how they're just be they're so cool on the ragged edge you and i are both such big fans of halo and like i would just love to see this moment where like the flood and the master chief kind of just <laughs> band together and like nicodemus you know and and all of, all of like the fallen just kind of like need to actually get their shit together and come together and defend this universe and actually you know i don't know work together with harry and get their shit out of the way uh it was just mm. yeah um i mean i would in in that metaphor i would say the outsiders are the flood and nicodemus is the covenant but uh <laughs> Yeah, okay, fair enough. But yeah. but the really interesting thing that, about this cool is that we're now 14 friggin' books deep in yeah, the series. Dude. I'm having a hard time getting my mind around the fact that, like, we're nearly caught up. Yeah, there's, what, three more you to know? do? Yeah, there are three more books, and two of them are really just two halves of one book. Uh, but that's something we'll get to in a, in a couple of episodes. Uh, but... The the mindset I've had throughout this whole series is like, don't question things too much because there's so much still to read. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or like, be patient, wait, you'll get the answers you're looking for. And now I'm like, we only got three books left. We've read 14 books. Most of the answers we're going to get, we've already gotten. Now is the time where it's like, like, this is real theory territory now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to guess that given the titles of peace talks and battleground, we're going to get another pretty big, you know, shift in things. Uh, those titles just imply a... Um, you know, like peace talks. <laughs> Who are the peace talks with? Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, a, there's a, and then battleground. Like, or why does peace? What's talk? the battle? 
and why is the battle happening right after the peace talks? Yeah, you know, exactly. uh, there's there's so much, so much still to explore just based on the the promises of yeah. those titles. Is skin game but, a double entendre? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> but but there's not a whole lot of space left. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I like I said, like this is theory territory now, where I'm like, this isn't just oh, I wonder what's going to happen in the next book. This is What's the point of this series? Mm. Yeah. I gotta say, I love the I love the fact that we're like 21 minutes into this episode. We haven't really talked much about this book yet. <laughs> we're so excited I, about what's going on around well, but, this but book. But that's uh, that ties into the style, you know, the, the Yeah. Things are getting what bigger. This book is doing. Um bringing Harry back to life getting him more directly involved in corporeal events. Uh, it's it's something the series needed in terms of pacing, um, where where Ghost Story was a, a much more introspective book, a much more character-driven book. I'm not going to say it was a character-driven book, but it was more character-driven than uh, pretty much any other Dresden Files book mm. so far. Uh and and it's like, all right, we had that more contemplative story. Jim Butcher knows his audience. It's time to get back to the action. You know, it's time to get back to the the explosions and the and the huge battles. And I mean, you, you think about the scale of the battle and changes, mm-hmm. and how that was unprecedented. Well, we. We're pretty darn close in terms of that scale uh, in the battle at the end of Cold Days. You know, we we got like an outsider army fighting the Wild Hunt. Like, yeah, the Earl King uh, just being cool with Harry taking over. Like, all right, here you go, man. Just bring him back before ten. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so Butcher's aware. You know, and and I'm not saying he's he's been unaware earlier in the series. Uh, I I think he's always had a, a grasp on his audience. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think I really fall into that audience. I am 100 percent that audience. I am <laughs> yeah, yeah. that 100 percent that audience. Yes, but but he is he's nailing what that audience wants in mm. cold days. Mm. There, I, I, I do want to balance this. There have been distinct times where I, I've noticed a few times in these past books where I, I, and I haven't really brought this up yet. There are times when the threats and the dangers keep piling up and eventually I do reach this kind of saturation point in terms of like immediate danger that I can keep track of more than once. I'll be a third of the way or half of the way or, or two thirds of the way through the book uh, of, a, of a Dresden book. I'm having my mind blown about this new and exciting threat and then suddenly we're going back to another place and we're taking care of another job and i'm like oh yeah that's right there's still this other plot line that i totally forgot about it, it sort of happened in book six for example where we have everything uh, uh, on the whole going on with nicodemus and the plague oh sorry this is book five sorry nicodemus and, and the plague and the knights of the cross the apocalypse and, and, and the fallen but we needed to take that section about two-thirds of the way through and go to duel ortega yeah and then get back yep. to the bigger picture right and 
you you were just talking, Drew. You were just talking about uh, a ghost story. We have everything happening with Harry's struggle to return to life, and and more importantly, this rising <clears throat> threat that is Corpse Taker trying to possess Mortimer in the in this whole battle of spirits. But we still took the time to help the gang, for example, rescuing Father Fordhill, and we we nearly lose everything in the process before running down across town again after that, and then stopping the big thing. Like this, it it kind of compounds with the increase in magnitude of uh, like Harry's struggles. It seems no matter the size of the deck that's stacked against Harry or how much he already has on his impossible plate, there's always another obligation. There's always another promise, some other threat that he has to, to juggle with. And the more complex and the more diverse these threats get, it, the, the harder it is to believe, honestly, time and time again, that there's always yeah. a neat and tidy truth that conveniently like kind of links all of them together so that we can wrap this up inside 300 pages or so. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Uh, this is a criticism I've leveled at the Dresden Files on earlier episodes where it, it feels like Butcher at times gets a little too big for his britches. He, he starts losing control of the threads and then has to yank them all back together for for an ending that that was one of the one of the reasons i struggled with the first half of changes was i i thought the pacing was just really haphazard and jarring because there were all of these different things he was trying to pull into one unified plot line um and and it's not like again it's not like butcher is unaware and, and in fact in cold days multiple times we have what amounts to fourth wall breaking where Dresden thinks like, it's always gotta me, uh, gotta be me. Who's going to save the day. Can't you just let me be for, for five minutes so I can go save the day. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he's over and over and over again in this book. He's thinking about how it keeps hanging on his shoulders and, and that, you know, to, to save the world or whatever and and yet there are new wrinkles, new complications constantly showing up, and he's like, "Can this all chill for a second, please? Like, yeah, can yeah. I can I go figure this out?" And and we have a whole scene where he has to stop and prioritize, where he's like, "All right, which problem do I solve first? And he and and we have a conscious decision on the page that some of these issues are not going to be dealt with in this book. And yeah. that's why we get Harry ending the book with a an open-ended conversation with Murphy and staying on Demon Reach so he can figure out whatever this magical parasite is in his head. Yeah. That's going to kill him. You know? Like, Butcher has gotten really ambitious with this series. I, and I'm still not convinced he has the chops to handle it. I think he does. At this point, he has my my trust to to land what he wants because he's planning multiple books at a time. It sounds like he's planning multiple uh, installments as part of the same arc. I I think he can do it, but you're right. Like there there are reasons to to question. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what was I going to say? Because here? I don't. I still don't think 14 books in, as much as I've liked some of these books. I still don't think he has satisfactorily handled one of these like mega multiplots. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you, you consider the way Brandon Sanderson 
handles this stuff in Mistborn or Warbreaker. They're a little longer, but not that much longer. Some of these Dresden books have gotten pretty hefty. Yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah. You know, I do. I do want to uh, remind you that, you know, Nicodemus is in the works. Ivy is still out there in the works. We have the right, outside. But that, that's my point thing. is that it, these things can butcher does not seem capable so far of adequately weaving together multiple threats into a satisfying conclusion. Oh, he always seems to drop one of them or solve it mm, a little, a little weakly, like for Ortega and the duel in, in death mass. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 Uh, where, where he, it feels like things are starting to get away from him. And so he either says, all right, I'm going to drop this thread and deal with that later. Or I'm going to snip this thread right now so yeah. I can concentrate on the the more central plot. Uh, he he has not quite done a true Sanderson avalanche type ending, even though the way he's writing these stories yeah. feels like he wants to do that. Well, yeah, that's, I think, I think it's part of the danger of writing series that are, you know, a dozen, two dozen books long yeah. is that like you, your threats cannot remain uh, static. They can't remember on the they, they they can't remain on the same magnitude because you risk um, your your theory, your series sounding episodic. You know, you, like you you have to yeah. keep upping the ante. You have to keep making the dangers bigger, the threats bigger. Um, but at the same time, you have to make your threats branch out more. And it's it's I, I imagine it's getting harder and harder to weave them all together in a way that feels organic because you have to manage to to land it as we still expect inside 300 pages or so or at least in the audiobook it's like 15 to 18 hours and so and, and it's been a while since i've made the comparison between dresden files and garrett pi but this is so apt because you brought up the point there where you're like it's it's tough to to handle it without it either feeling episodic you know where where things just never escalate, uh, or or you have to like build it up. Yes, and and it's hard to handle building it up. Garrett Pi, I am now nine books into that series, and Glenn Cook went all in on making it episodic, and it works. Right, Through nine books, it's been episodic, but. He has slowly built up, unconnected to the episodic plots, or or maybe not unconnected, but only very tangentially connected to the episodic plots, building up a greater background conflict. And now in book nine, another episodic one-off, you know, detective case... For Garrett to figure out, he's in the middle of the bigger plot. And that's such a, a, a sharp demarcation from what Butcher has done in Dresden, where Dresden has been ground zero from the start. Mm. Everything, even though he's like building this tangential background megaplot, it's all directly related to Dresden. Everything revolves around Harry. We find out he's 
Starborn or whatever it's called. Yeah. You know, he, we, we find out that he's got relations in the vampire court. We find out that his grandfather is on the, you know, he's the black staff of the white council. Like we, everything is about Harry in Garrett PI. It's not about Garrett. Garrett is just moving job to job to job. But things are moving in the background and he starts finding himself dragged into a bigger conflict than the job he's currently working on. And I think it's so much easier for Glenn Cook to handle that sort of progression than it is for Jim Butcher to handle what he's doing in in the Dresden Files. Mm, Because he's still... He's still trying to write short books that feel like a flavor of the week mystery. But they're not anymore. And what he really should be doing at this point is writing big old honking doorstopper yeah. epic fantasy. He's putting baby in the corner. That's what he's doing you right know, now. Yes. And 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 there has absolutely been that creep in terms of uh book size. You know, uh, I would have to look up the the word counts again, but like the early books were 80, 90,000 words. I think this is the longest in terms of the audiobook. And, and yeah. And then the last couple books have been like 170,000 words, like twice the length of Stormfront or, or full moon or grave peril. Like he, he has definitely grown in size, but the story he's writing has outstripped the size of his books and he's having a hard time keeping it under control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to, to, to zoom in on this book in particular and what, and what brought me to this level of uh, threat saturation for lack of a better term in this book, I have, I have a quote here from the end of chapter 17 after we've got, we, you know, We've gotten all this information from Demon Reach with the translation from Bob, and Harry lays out the Mm -hmm. scope of everything he's just learned. Here's a quote. Okay, okay. I'll add that to my list then. Find whoever it is, wherever they are, and stop them from doing something they haven't done yet. I had my own private purgatory full of sleeping monsters. I had a parasite in my brain that was fixing to burst my skull on its way out of me. My little island paradise was about to explode with enough energy to cook dark gods and Lord only knew what else hanging around under the island. That meant we were talking about a release of energy in the gigaton range. If I didn't stop someone from doing it, the continental shelf was about to have a very bad day. And at this point, listening to the audiobook, I'm stopping to pull out my phone and make this very point about, holy crap, This all these threats piling up is insane. And it, as I'm doing this, he continues on and he goes, oh, right, and I was supposed to kill an insane immortal or else faith, uh, face the wrath of her insane mother, and I had to do it in the next 24 hours. And I stopped at that point going, oh my god, Maeve, I forgot about that one too, what the hell? <laughs> like, it just, it keeps building on and on and on. The, the whole first half of, of these last few books, specifically with uh, 12, 13, and 14, the first half is is just uncontrolled it's it 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 feels completely unrestrained and it's it's hard to like i don't know encapsulate all of it but in this book i feel like he did a much 
uh, a greater job than he has in, in past books. And it, like Cold Days was perhaps my favorite so far. Yeah, I, he did do a better job. I, I went on that whole rant there about about how this series is kind of getting too big for its own own boots. Uh, but that's not to say this was a bad book or or that this this book didn't work. Uh, because I think it largely did. Um, and it, and it was because he he gave it the opportunity to do that. The the disparate plot lines were much more tightly woven in the end. Uh, I thought it was a really satisfying conclusion, but even then, the conclusion still left threads unresolved, like the, the whatever this parasite Harry has. Yeah. And, and whatever the hell is going to happen with Murphy. You know? Um, I, I thought, honestly, I thought when they had that moment during the wild hunt, I was like, okay, all right, we, we finally have Harry and Murphy getting together here. And then he had to reel it back because ultimately the satisfaction of that scene would be lost amidst the, the bombast of everything else going on during the climax. Mm -hmm. And, and look, you're 14 books into a series where you've been teasing this relationship. You gotta give it the room it deserves when you're gonna finally give your readers that moment of catharsis. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be talking about that later in this episode. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> I am I, aware of the fact that we are spending a lot of time on the style portion, but I still have more <laughs> style-oriented to talk about. Um, this is a really brief one, though. You were talking last time, Drew, about um, mm -hmm. words that it's kind of apparent that the author has just learned, and he's really excited about employing them. There's yeah, a yeah, phrase yeah. that I caught being used again and again and again, you know, a few too many times, and I, and I, I decided definitely to make a note about the next best thing to, and then we'd have insert subject, is used how many times in this book? I don't know. The next best thing to. It comes up so many times. Like, this is a, a phrase that I use maybe once every six months. And so when I'm hearing it in my audiobook four times in a single day, I'm going, what the, what's going on here? Did you catch up on that one at all? I did not. No. Um, I, I got to be honest, I'm searching in my ebook and I get no matches. What? I'm getting the next, next best, best. thing. Too, like I get no matches for next best. Well, listen, everybody. There is a possible scenario here where once again Rob is accidentally confusing his notes from Skin Game with <laughs> Cold Days. We will have to see about that one. Hmm. Hmm. More on that in our favorite scenes today. Anyway. Oh. oh last. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm going to follow up on something I screwed up for you last week that we had to cut out. Unfortunately, thank you, Jim, yeah, for yeah. your editing. Um, mm -hmm. My last style point here. Stylistic crutches. This is a thing I wanted to talk about. Molly went up to the front door and knocked. About two seconds after she did that, something huge slammed against the other side of the door. At this point, Drew, I'm like, oh, Mouse! He's going to be so happy to see Harry! And then we continue. The heavy door jumped in its frame. 
dust fell from the roof over the porch, dislodged by the impact. I'm thinking, oh, that's got the flavor of Spooky, though. He's not... Oh, wait, no, hold on. Butcher's not going for... He's not going to go for the... Sp no, he's not doing this, is he? And then Molly stiffened and backed away. A second later, there was another thump and another, and the sound of the frantic scratching of claws on the door. Then more thumping. I hurriedly crossed the street to stand beside Molly on the lawn, facing the front door. At this point, I stopped. I pulled up my phone. I wrote... I wrote, and this is word for word, Jim Butcher, what kind of you, of clueless juveniles do you take your readers for? In what universe was there anything else besides mouse on the reader's mind from that first thump on the door? Why are we drawing this out, this description? Again, we're playing dumb. Why do we have to make Harry temporarily the dumbest character in this series just to pull that cheeky fast one? I, 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 would, I would rather... Yeah. A Lugaroo come through the door. Not being mouse would have been a twist at that point. What the hell? Why so much faith in your readers for the pop culture references? But your faith in readers in terms of dramatic irony and, and release is like a, your faith in a bunch of toddlers building a rocket engine at recess. What's going on here? Yeah. I, I, fall, I fall on your side on, on this one. Like... From the first sentence. Yeah. Oh, Mouse, he's going to be there. And then... And then it's like Harry and Molly are suddenly like... Ready to fight What this. is this? What's going Harry on? Is, oh, I should be on... I, there like, are times in this series where Harry draws together all these logical connections that I can't even begin to fathom how he pulls them together. But there are so many other times where he seems to temporarily yeah. become clueless. Just so yeah, like, that we, there can be a more dramatic... We just got finished in the review. last book... Harry telling us how the Carpenter property is guarded by a fucking battalion of guardian angels. Yeah. Like, there's very obviously not going to be a monster that has defeated all the guardian angels and broken through the threshold and then locked the door behind it. Like, no. <laughs> like, why, why would you set this scene up that way? Yeah, I, I'm with you on this one. Yeah. I'm with you on this yeah. one. I'm done with my, my stylistic points here. Okay. I, yeah, we, we need to get moving. We're we do. We're 42 minutes into this thing. We do. Let's talk about Harry. Let's get him out of the way. Um, He's he's at this dark point in his path. And I, it, I, was, I was hoping to see this. And, you know, on account of the sheer cool factor, I'm sure I'm not the only one. There are probably so many other fans out there that are on my train. Um, I like that Butcher wasn't content with making it so simple or one-dimensional as that, though. With all of this epic and badass that I was hoping to see out of this Darth Dresden, you know, there's still this tension to every bit of it, particularly in the beginning, like I was talking about at the beginning, when we're in Arctis tour. Uh, the birthday party seat is this perfect example. Chapter 7, Harry finally gets a chance to speak to the gathered sheep. You know, um, on one hand, he's talking about mortals being off limits. We're like, yay, Harry, you know, Dresden being classic Dresden, mortals off limits. Awesome. But on the other, this whole zero warnings, zero excuses, sub-zero tolerance. One of the she stepped forward, his leather pants creaking. He opened his mouth, his expression condescending. Mortal, do you actually think that you can infriga for Zare in the explosive violence and death from Harry all of a sudden? You know, I don't think we've seen... Death like that, just casual coming out of Harry. Every bit of holy shit that is cool is also followed by this whisper of this is this is wrong. This is so wrong. Like it this deep familiarity that I feel like I have with Harry at this point, you know, to create this wordless tension, it was just it was so awesome. 
it was awesome. And also, I have to, as a nerd, point out that, that this Sub-Zero reference, legit, was awesome. But yeah, Harry's totally cool in this one. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pun not uh, intended. I am, I am more... Uh... Uh, more ready to move on from Harry because I feel like I ended up talking about him quite a lot in in our style. Mm. So yeah, uh, if you're done with Harry, let's whew, let's get the show on the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'm just gonna add this one liner to my miscellaneous here. Boom. I mention that later. Yeah. Okay. So who do you want to talk about next? Um. But butters. Butters? What do you think about Butters right now? I want to see him become a lot more. And I think he's on that path. He has a brain. I want to see what Dresden wants to do with the human flex of sheer intellect. Because we've had Dresden flexing a lot of his magical power. We've had spirits like Bob. We've had a lot of, uh, I don't know, mysticism from the fairy. But, and we've had a lot of threat from the outsiders. I want to see what a human, completely mortal human brain can do unleashed on the laws of magic. And I, and I think Butters is the perfect vehicle for that. I, I, I kind of harbor this secret guilty pleasure hope of seeing Butters become this player in the game equal in terms of weight to Harry Dresden in terms of his sheer intellect and understanding magic. So... Yeah, that that would be interesting. I'd right? be okay with that. Yeah. Uh but I want to ask you, do you think he's become kind kind of just a dick? I was frustrated with him because of how many times Harry has been doubted and still turned out to be right. There were several times that I wanted to just like kind of like shake butters and be like, "How many times have you like this is Harry Dresden you're talking about?" Just Think about this. Take that step back, Waldo Butters. But there were other characters I felt that about as well. And so it was kind of spread evenly in this book. But there were times that I felt Butters was being out of line. And he should have trusted Harry more. And it frustrated me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think Jim Butcher is doing something really smart with the way he's developing Butters as a character. Uh, he started off as somebody with... Very low self-confidence, very low self-esteem, and we're seeing him grow into that. But man, has it gotten overplayed, I think. Mm. Uh, like you said, he just oversteps sometimes at this point, mm. where where it's like, dude, just chill. <laughs> like I wouldn't say oversteps, he just, he needs to remember... The, the many times that Dresden has proved to be right. You know, take a step back and consider the bigger picture. That's what I think. Yeah. I don't think he's getting too big for his britches, for lack of a better term. I, th I think he is at certain points, but... Mm. Maybe. But yeah. Yeah. Next? Um, Butters? Uh, or sorry, we were done, Butters. Uh, let's see here. Murphy? You want to get this Murphy, man, Harry I thing? I don't have much to say about Murphy I'm, in this one, honestly. <sighs> I'm so, I'm, I'm so, I'm so angry. Okay, um. 
I don't know what to say that I haven't already said. I was pissed off in Proven Guilty. I was pissed off after book, after book eight when I when I said I finally thought after eight books that Harry and and Murphy this thing was finally happening. Finally, I said finally in book eight, and then it didn't. And at that point, I said honestly, I'm aware there's like twenty books overall at this point. I just don't know if I can wait another half dozen books for them to finally get together and still care about it. This teasing is too much. It's been it's been forced apart too many times now. If I honestly it, if it wasn't for the podcast, it, I might be giving up on the series right here. That was at book eight. I said that. In in books since then, I've started growing closer again. Murphy's been removed from a lot of her obligations, and in, in, she's been given entirely you know new obligations that are that more closely align with Harry's in terms of uh, of what she's dedicated to and protecting people, protecting Chicago. They've continued to grow closer, Harry and Karen. And there was the end of changes where I thought. Holy shit, here it is. It's going to happen, and I'm happy, but honestly, it might still already be ruined for me. It's kind of still too late. I just, I'm done caring about this relationship at this at this point, but maybe we'll see. I'll grow on it. And then, nope. Okay, Harry, shot. Okay, well, I guess it's a good thing I wasn't too invested in it here. And then, here we go, <laughs> in cold days, again, they're circling one another, there's more to talk about, more discussion about the implications, passionate moments where they're just, they come together, but, and oh my fucking god, chapter 53 happens. And once again, it's, well, it's not gonna happen. Not yet, anyway. 14 books in! 14 books in. I wish I had the words to articulate properly how insignificant the remaining amount of anything resembling fucks I have to give remain to me and on the front of Karen Murphy and Harry Dresden. I don't anymore at this point. I don't. So, most of our conversations on this topic have ended with me being like, Rob, be patient. It's gonna happen. And now, I'm not sure it's gonna happen. Mm. Uh... I don't know how many books the series is planned to finish at, but I I I feel like I have a, a decent idea. Like I I know he has some like climactic trilogy planned for it, and then yeah. and we still have a couple of books to go before we get to that trilogy. So I'm like somewhere in the low twenties, but that means we're two thirds done with the series. Hmm. And this still hasn't happened. Yeah. Like there, the, so yeah. I see two two potential kind of avenues out of this. Just just from the writer's perspective, in, in terms of like how to maximize drama and and character works. Either it never happens at all, and and we we get a continuous. Uh, series of Harry um you know having other women come into and out of his life or it very very briefly happens and Murphy gets killed yeah those are the two routes out of this that I see yeah I know, I know what I'm rooting for. Mm-hmm, same, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Harry and and Lara to get together because I think they're just, still just wildly wanna, you entertaining. You want to read that book so badly? <laughs> I, I do. Like, like that's, like that's a, a relationship 
a romantic relationship with Harry that I care about. Like, the, the brief scenes we get with them in, like, whatever, three different books, they're just so entertaining. Like, uh, that's probably the most fun I've had reading the series, so I'm like, please, somehow, as long as Harry doesn't get just, like, I, like you know, enslaved by the succubus thing, like, that that would rob the, the relationship of all of its a- entertainment value. Yeah. Um, and not, not that I think Butch is going to do that, because when you start robbing your main character of agency, that's an issue. Uh, but, but I think that would just yeah. be so much damn fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was honestly, there was an appropriate, like, like I, I wanted Harry and, and Karen Murphy to get together and then have to work through over the course of this series, troubles perhaps in their relationship and come over that and, yeah. and work through things and perhaps have difficult points and 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 like at, if it's taking the entire series to get together i'm i don't care anymore i'm done I, that's not something yeah. deep enough to be invested yeah. in over the considering the scope of everything else it would have been perfect i thought in book eight and it didn't happen. And then in book 12, when it almost happened, I thought, okay, that's it. And now in book 14, when it's still putting off, I, I'm actually irritated at this point. I legitimately am. I believe it. I believe so, it. So, all right. And uh, it, kind of, it pisses me off, too, because I love Murphy. I love her as a character. And I'm here. I'm sitting here talking about what she is. I'm not talking about who she is. I'm so invested in the main character and his whole vehicle that this character that I'm so invested in, Karen Murphy, in her faith, in her, her devotion to protecting Chicago and what it means to her, that I'm talking about her relationship to Harry. I, I want to see so much more of Murphy going forward, and I hope we see that. Okay. I'm I'm okay. Just very frustrated. Let's go let's go forward. Um Molly? Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, so I read Cold Days mm-hmm. and reading Cold Days jogged my memory quite a lot. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh with bombshells. Which was the first Dresden Files thing I ever read. It was years and years and years ago, uh, when the Dangerous Women anthology came out that I Mostly I purchased for the George R. R. Martin and Brandon Sanderson stories, but I, of course, I read through all this. This wasn't Dangerous Women? Yes. Yeah. And Bombshells was a Molly point of view story. And and I I believe I brought this up earlier on our episodes, and I was like, all I remember is that there was something with like a vampire court and and that Leah showed up. I think at, that at was the time, Summer I was Night. Like, yeah, there there was a, a fairy fairy godmother. I think that was with Veronica, yeah. And and then once I discovered who Leah was, I was like, okay, this, so this must have been Leah. Um and then I read Cold Days, and we get this whole thing about Molly's apartment and the Svartovs. Yes. And how she gave them back their honor, and I was like, I I think I've read this. So so this this exact situation you're having here is how I was reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in fourth grade. Because I had accidentally read that in first grade three years earlier. <laughs> and as Dobby was, uh, this, this is not a spoiler, as Dobby was going from bed to garbage can and doing everything, I was sitting there in fourth grade going, oh my god, this was the book I read when I was six. 
So, so uh, that's I a, funny. I had a very similar continue. But yeah, yeah. So I was like, uh, it, it, it just completely triggered my memory where I was like, oh yeah, all of these hints in Cold Days about Molly. That's what bombshells was. <laughs> yeah. And it was really satisfying to be like, oh, right. Yeah, there was there was like a... The whole point of that story, if... And, I, and I, I'm not going to say that this is for sure accurate because, again, I haven't reread it. This is just me having my memory jogged by cold days. It was that the Svartalves had some, like... um treaty with the fomor oh and we're getting like undercut with it and molly got brought in as an arbiter mm. and and she and then she ended up going to the white court and i think lara was involved i know leo was involved because leo was like this is when when we had like rag lady molly and leo was training her Mm, yeah and and in in the end uh molly like figured it out and and saved the svartalves from being like hoodwinked by the fomor so she saved their honor and they're like we owe you and that's how she got this like luxury apartment yeah that she now owns <laughs> sounds like that's, a good deal i i i think that's what happened in bombshells that's what my memory mm. is telling me it gotcha was. yeah like with with molly i thought honestly i thought this poor girl had most of the excitement in her life out of the way already in terms of her own growth for the series at least i figured she'd be with <coughs> pardon without harry you know she'd be a full practitioner or unsur unsupervised whatever someday maybe not before the end of the series and you know we might still have that going into the final struggle, but bigger things are happening to her already. The mantle of the winter lady. What the fuck? What a shock that was. Like, she, Molly in this book is, is such a wild card. She's, she's being a little more open. She's being direct with Harry now about her feelings for him. And, and I say a little because there wasn't much more open to be about it, really. It's going to complicate things, undoubtedly. Like, I have to say, I'm the kind of person that tires of repeated descriptions and for fuck's sake when the next time i have to sit through another of harry dresden's long explanations about how she's she's into him but he can't see her that way and if i have to hear the words training bra one more time i'm gonna fucking snap like we we get it dude we get it i'm tired of hearing the explanation we're we're 14 books in at this point it's it's been 10 books since these first hints at her being into him. And, you know, seven books since she's made her move. I'm tired of this moral waterboarding that we're subjected to every time Mo like Molly returns to his thoughts. I kind of want, like, just, I, I want this out of the way, okay? Because I want to see where Molly's journey is taking her. And we're spending so much time on what she is to Harry over who she could be in, in terms of Harry's opinion, so... I hope for and I kind of fear the possibility of Molly going rogue at this point with, with Mab's or Winter's influence now that she's the Winter Lady, or uh, assuming she's Winter Lady. Um, it should make for interesting character development, you know, even if I'm already positive I'm going to have to hear a boatload of Harry's moral griping in the next book about <laughs> how kind of hot but totally inappropriate the situation is. Oh, but, God. 
Yeah, I just had a conversation today with with some some friends uh, who who noted the frequency of the term training bra. Really? In in the Dresden Files. Because this is a note that I wrote down like 13 days ago. So this is kind of hilarious that you bring this up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, like there was one guy who was like, I had never heard the term training bra until reading Dresden Files. And then oh. it was like 10 times every book as Harry's, you know, grappling with the morality yeah. of wanting to really? have sex interesting with Molly. i just okay yeah and, no seriously uh, i'm just i'm tired like i said i, I wrote that down the, the moral waterboarding i'm done i'm done with it okay i'm done with it all right get it out of the way or stop it it's not bad to have but do it once or twice it's really frustrating because molly's my favorite character in the series and harry's relationship with molly in the surrogate father-daughter sense is awesome. But Butcher decided he had to have the sexual component added in. And that that's just, like... I'm never going to get over that. That that has been I a think problem it, no. I've had with the series from the get-go, is, is Butcher's need to have really weird sex stuff that's not in mine the series that's not mine at all with molly i figure like that could just go in in a large way to speak to harry's kind of nature as as he struggles with his with his human side as opposed to his magical side and all these frailties and all these things that make him doubt himself harry's a large part of harry's uh, uh like character is him com- consistently underestimating himself and molly gives him so many opportunities to do that, to hate himself. And so I, I kind of see her again. It pisses me off. I love her so much, but she's constantly used for Harry as a character to, to do things to his character. I'm just, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I would be okay with it if it was once or twice, but it's like every book at this point, I'm done with the, I'm done with the verbatim. It's, it's pissing me off at this point. Okay. Okay. But in 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 terms of its composition, it doesn't bother me, and I, I don't think in the same way it does with you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um. Um. Cat Sith. Okay, Cat Sith. <laughs> that was like a six and a half second pause. What's up, Cat Sith? Um, entertaining. Uh huh. Interesting character. Uh, totally our thumbnail, perhaps. Oh, very Ooh, possible. A nice very big possible. kitty, curly cat tail. Uh, but this is just you know uh, a a. This is just something that Jim Butcher is gonna have to deal with, uh, where Drew McCaffrey is talking about his books, uh, and that is how often I see. Glenn Cook coming into his books. And I know that Cat Sith is a real world mythical figure. Like, I know this is not something Glenn Cook came up with. But Cat Sith is a thing in the Black Company. And and when Cat Sith showed up here, I was just like, of course. <laughs> really? Yeah. Mm. 
I honestly found it as a cool experience. I was like, oh, so this is where the inspiration came from. And it kind of made me go, oh, Rob, you got to think about these things. You know? It was a bit humbling because I'm not as widely read. But you've read The Black Company. I have read The Black Company. <laughs> yes, but right away I was like, oh, I thought this was a Glenn Cook thing. This is like an actual deep lore thing, Rob, you idiot. Don't don't assume oh, things. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cat, Cat Sith is a a, a Celtic mm. mythological. I will say though, once I heard the name Cat Sith, I was like, "Oh sh! When do the Star Wars references come in now?" And sure and enough, did. he had to. They did. Gonna obligate us. I was like, "Oh god damn it, Butcher!" Uh, yeah. So many times yeah. you make me laugh. Why do you have to make me cringe? <laughs> but I, I spend a lot of time oh. bitching. Butcher, you're still good. You're. I love you, man. Um, Cat Sith was a lot of fun. He stole every page he was on. I loved Cat Sith. This chemistry, especially the fact that it was volatile chemistry between Cat Sith and Harry, it was brilliant. You know, he, there was this moment where Cat Sith threatens him. You know, I have orders to dispatch you if you disobey Mab's commands or undermine her authority in any way. And then Harry just comes back with, "Why don't you go ask Eldest Fetch how easy that one is, mittens?" You know, yeah. moments like these are they're not just hilarious for the snark, you know, which we've been over and over again with Harry Dresden. But I stopped writing this moment in this moment. I was like, Harry's attitude totally changed last chapter. Like when he first learned who Cat Sith was, he was like super respectful. But now he's straight back to facetious. And Harry spent some time deliberating on whether he wanted to go back to that attitude or not. So like. Mm-hmm. Did he seriously, like, can he just seriously not help it? I, I prefer to think that. But with Cat Sith and the whole, here, kitty, 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 kitty thing, it just, it really tickled me. I did love that a lot. So, so Cat Sith uh, I, landed. I had this as a miscellaneous point, but you just brought up the line that it's in. I'm not sure if I'm forgetting something, but I'm pretty sure that was a typo. Which one? Or a mistake on Listen Butcher's again, part. I'm listening to the audiobook, so let's go over where, it. Where, where he tells Katseth, go ask Eldest Fetch yeah. how, how that... That how... should be Eldest Gruff, okay. not Eldest Fetch. Okay. In the, in the audiobook, it was definitely Fetch, and I was wondering yeah, well, about that. Yeah, well, it's Fetch in, in the ebook as well. Yeah. I think that's a mistake. Like, it should have been Eldest Gruff, right? Eldest Gruff is who I was assuming he was referring to, but that's, yeah. a, that's another point where Drew, I go and I go, oh, okay, there must be another fairy tale link between Fetch and Gruff that I'm not educated on. And I just like, I, I, back I off on it. I do not recall I any, immediately go, oh, Drew's going to explain that to me. <laughs> any connection between the like the Billy Goats Gruff and, and those figures. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't remember any, any indication of Fetch's having like I mean, a fetches are also in the uh, wheel of time i just figured like this is also just like a, oh, a, a yeah. trans no, no, no. a trans fantasy term once i saw that and i was like oh okay yeah, but but it, it felt very specific in terms of like yeah go talk to this one dude and see how oh how in terms of specific identity one person yeah like he's talking about eldest gruff oh yeah he, I, I knew he and was he's like yeah go talk to him about how it went when yeah the last time you know, uh, Mab sent a yeah. bunch of Winter Court Fey after me, and I kicked all their asses un- until Eldest Gruff, and and even then yeah. I outsmarted him. Yeah, like, Butcher threw a nice bone know. to me because I went after Mittens. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I'm. I think I'm done with characters. <laughs> Shh, you kidding, kidding, kidding. Nothing about Thomas. No. 
Hmm. No, not really. Really? Not okay. Not even in your favorite scenes? No. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll bring this up here then. I'll bring this up here then. I mean, you had to stay away. Otherwise, we would all have known that you aren't perfect, you gawking, stupid, arrogant, egotistical. He hit my chest and wrapped his arms around me so hard that I felt my ribs creaking. Clumsy, short-tempered, exasperating, goofy, useless. I hugged my brother's back and listened to a steady stream of derogatory adjectives until he finished it. Asshole. Yeah, I said, I missed you too. So wholesome nothing to say about thomas no that scene was just too over the top for me Uh man okay all right well let's go let's continue uh miscellaneous then okay chris kringle sorry i've been doing a little bit of we got uh beer drinking tonight so there was obvious klaus the toy maker klaus the toy maker (laughs) and now we got we got like full-on santa claus hell yeah so uh, I don't know. That was that was interesting. Wasn't expecting there to be two different Santa Clauses in in uh, Dresden Files. Chris Kringle, yeah, yep, one hundred percent. Butters and Bob, their living situation. You know, Butters gaming slash rating room. Bob's like pseudo masturbatorium. There's just so much to take in with that scene. It's just pure undiluted situational comedy, and it works so well for mm-hmm. me. I love that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. What do I want to talk about miscellaneous-wise? Um, I have some, like, really nitpicky things. You know, one, one like... Uh, oh, yeah. Nitpick. Cat-sith. Cat-sith. Or, or rather, Eldest Gruff, early on. He goes, Sir Knight, please do thou accept my best wishes, uh, wishes on this day of your birth. Should have been thy birth. Okay, I need to learn this because like, I would never have, like I would well, never well, but, have picked but that. That's it's it's just the archaic language. In the same sentence, he uses the more archaic thou. Why would he change to your birth in the middle of that sentence after using thou five words earlier? You know, like it, it just these little things where it's like. I, I've brought this up before where, yeah, yeah, where have, Butcher's yeah. messed up like thy and thine. Um, like, he tries to do this, like, archaic language and he just doesn't quite put it all together. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Super nitpicky. Mm. Look, super nitpicky. But it stands out to me. Fair. That's uh, fair, though. That's fair, though. The other one that, that really bothered me, like, like I stopped and and reread the sentence multiple times because I was just so jarred by it. Uh, and it, it's when he's talking about demon reach. Uh, it was huge, maybe twelve feet tall, and roughly humanoid in shape. I couldn't see much of it. It was covered in what looked like a heavy cloak that covered it completely. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even notice I was it. Like, that last half of that sentence is completely redundant. I didn't even notice it. That that may be an audiobook quirk there that I didn't... Like, huh? it was covered in what looked like a heavy cloak. Period. Covered. Covered. Fine. Covered, covered. 
you don't need to say that covered it completely, <laughs> like enveloped it completely. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. This is this is the mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like huh. he had a lot of these in the early books in the series, and and they've mostly gone away. And then this one just jumped out at me, where I was like, "Wow, dude!" Like, interesting. Like that's and and at this point, honestly, like that's on. That's yeah. on his proofreader, yeah, yeah, or yeah. or his line editor, rather. Yeah. Like that that's gotta get caught in mm. review. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um another miscellaneous here. Toot toot driving the rolls, I think it was, you know. Oh, this 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 whole thing with Hook, on one hand, adorable. You know. On the other, I can't help but take that step back in this instance and ask, have we met another specifically female Pixie or whatever the hell he is. At this point, it just seems a little convenient. We learn mm. that she's female, mm. and there's there's just no question where this is going from the get go. We're we're even doing the whole Wally and Eve dance when she's like she's totally disgusted by him, and he's just enamored, and he's clearly gonna win her over in the long run. I'm just I'm a little I don't know. It's great and it's adorable, but it feels the slightest bit forced together for the awe factor. You know, just I'm I'm willing to give. I, I'm going to give it a chance, but I don't know. It feels a little shoehorned. Uh, okay. Okay. That That's the thing that like, I truly did not give half about. There you go. Yeah. I started to, but I also <laughs> felt like I was supposed to, and that brought me out of it. So it felt yeah. synthetic. Yeah. So it brought me out of it. Chapter 16. Um, He's uh, Dresden's going down the hundreds of flight of stairs for the first time. He's discovering the prison on Demon Reach. He gets all the way down, and then he just jumps over the last step like a total child. I love it. Yep. There's that is some Ace Ventura level chaotic neutral here. It's fucking brilliant. It's ex- <laughs> oh man, Ace Ventura. <laughs> it's my. It's exactly my vibe. And yeah, I I I unironically use the word vibe. Okay, I I did it. Deal with it. All right, but. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I I totally said, man, I haven't watched Ace Ventura, dude, fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that movie existed. There, there's two of them, oh, excuse me, and those are up. some of the funniest comedy films ever conceived. But yes, yeah. I just, oh man, um, Thomas, wow. Thomas referring to Hook. Are you gonna interrogate the little guy? Well, if if Molly has a turkey baster, maybe you can waterboard him. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay, um, Rashid. Uh. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I do have a couple of more miscellaneous points, but yeah. Okay, sorry. So then, then throw Rashid at me, and then we'll 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 dive into. Yeah. Well, you were the one who brought up Rashid. I I, I was asking for your opinion. Sorry, I should have made that clear. Yeah. Um, oh, anything about um, Rashid? No, it's cool to like finally get the answer about what his deal is. I mean, it's more or less what I thought it was gonna be, I, and that's why I thought he was gonna be the um, the traitor originally. Was that there were outsiders helping uh, the Red Court, and and we had heard this term, the outside gates, and that he's the gatekeeper, yes. and I was like, oh well. Yes. Obviously, it's going to be him. He's the one who can open the gate and let the outsiders in, right? Like, and I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's still but, it was a damn. Good but yeah, it was it was neat to see what the actual situation is there, and it was way cooler than I thought it was going to mm, be. Yeah, he, and there's something that he said to Harry that really spooked me. 
He tells him, Oh, you've danced about in the shadows at the edge of life now, young man. This, that's no small thing to go chase those shadows and come back again. You've no idea the kind of attention you've attracted. And, and then Harry responds, of course, with, Oh, good, because the pace was starting to slow down so much that I was getting bored. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, with, with everything here in this... Oh, this is what I what I have been waiting for for the entire series. More of this, more of all of this. Ah, and then this. I don't know why it, it it ties to me, but this new title for Harry from the Earl King. We hear it first, and I think we hear it from Maeve. Starborn. Starborn. Yeah. Oh, we we heard that before. Have we? What? Yeah, we we've heard that before. How? Uh, yeah. Okay. Blow my mind. Do it right now. I think it was in... Mind preparing to be blown? Blood rights? No, we didn't. Bullshit. Uh, no, we did maybe, not. Maybe blood or Much earlier in the series when we found out... I, I want to say it was blood rights because we find out about how... Like his parentage. But we find out about how all of these pieces were moved into place to allow his birth. Wasn't at that a specific way later? time. Like... White and he's Knight called Starborn because I, there's like a conjunction, and I, I remember the I remember yeah. that in the conjunction and all the pieces being moved. I don't I do not remember Starborn. Did I just okay? I may have just forgotten. Yeah, that yeah. One. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. But yeah. All right. Interesting. Um. So I I I'm annoyed with the scene with Mab and Harry at the end. Yeah, okay. Uh, where he's, like, getting upset at her about dragging Molly into it. And and Mab's like, well, you did this, really. This is all you. Oh, God. And she says, you know, did she not change after you began to indoctrinate her? And, and he, you know, and she goes on, you know, had she not already begun to become a different person? And he goes, a person she chose to be. And she replies, did she choose to be born with her gift for the art? Did she choose to become someone so sensitive that she can hardly remain in a crowded room? I did not do that to her. You did. That's shit. Harry didn't do that to her. Yeah. Harry didn't give her her talent. Harry yeah. didn't give her her magic. Like, what What the... F and, and, and then Harry just... It, he grinds his teeth, and Mab goes on, and he just concedes the point there. That's I'm because like, Harry needs to become a temporary idiot so that Butcher yeah, can make like, a more it, dramatic there point. There are these soon. points. Yeah, there are these points in the series where it's like, like, no, fuck off, Butcher. Like, yeah, you you can't just do that. Yeah, like doesn't make sense. That Screw pulls up. me so far out of the story where I'm like, no, this the whole scene just fell apart. Like, yeah, ah. Uh, that pissed me off. <laughs> um, Alright, let's see. Uh, the other... Oh, oh yeah, here we go. Okay. Did you catch the Firefly reference? No. I'm not a huge uh, Joss Whedon fan. What's up? Um, When Bob is is translating for Demon Reach, and he's like showing the movie version... Oh, yeah? You know, on the wall. And Harry... Harry's like interrupting and he goes okay come on you're gonna buy me a lawsuit bob and he goes hush harry or you'll go to the special hell that is a straight up firefly reference is it 
Yeah. Um, uh, Jane. I just I let down so many Jane listeners. Oh, God. I'm in, sorry. In Firefly. I didn't know this At one, one point, he, he... Or maybe it's Mal. <laughs> There's an episode of Firefly where uh, a, a woman who's actually like a con artist, like, makes... Like, organizes things so that she gets married to Mal, the captain. Like kind of against his will, and and there's this conversation between Mal and Jane about like whether or not he's going to sleep with her, and uh, and there's and and there's a comment about like you know if if I do that I I would go to the special hell, the one reserved for child molesters and people who talk during the movies. Nice, very nice, very nice. And, yeah. <laughs> Where that? Yeah, and that was, I I laughed, and and I actually I feel like there was even a uh, there may have been another Firefly reference before that or after that that like made it really clear, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. I don't know, but mm. but yeah, yeah. I have yeah. three predictions to make before we go into uh, our favorite scenes. Okay. So, in chapter 17, Demon Reach manages to soothe Harry's growing headache, and he makes reference to the parasite that supposedly kept him alive during the events of the ghost story. So, Harry thinks about this for a bit, but, you know, he understandably, uh, the the pressure of everything in his life at this moment, of all, all moments, really, it just, it carries him past it pretty quickly. What are we thinking here? Because as soon as I heard this for the first time, I, I pulled up my phone and I wrote, Lashiel, obviously. This is so obviously Lashiel. And this entity apparently made Demon Reach promise not to reveal its identity. So, what's up? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not touching this one. I'm annoyed with it. Yeah, yeah? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those dropped threads that yeah. that bothered me with this book. So. We'll check this out. <clears throat> Another prediction. I think I've thought of a way to kill Mab. Check this out. Okay. We see Harry at one point say, screw winter law or some such, and his powers vanish. So my theory is if Harry or somebody else can manipulate Mab, into a position where she gets to or gets so emotionally worked up about something. Although I don't know what would do that if her daughter dying didn't bring her there. But if you can like enrage Mab to the point where she decides screw the mantle of the Winter Queen, would her powers vanish the same way Harry's did in larger scale? Would she be exposed in that way? Perhaps. Yeah, I would imagine so. I'm not sure that's physically possible for her, though. Yeah. Like I said, her daughter dying didn't do that, so... Yeah. Who knows? I feel like I feel like Harry's maybe uniquely situated to be able mm. to do that because he's a human. He's not fae. Sure. He's, he's sure. a human who's in, inherited fae power, and Mab is actually fae. I don't know. I'm spitballing. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fair enough, though. Um, yeah. <clears throat> last prediction, and this is a detail that's glossed over. I think it's important though. There's a moment where Mother Summer tells Harry that Mother Winter has 
or almost never leaves the cabin anymore. And it's apparently because she, and I quote, lost her walking stick. I feel like that's going to come in important later. And I also oh. want to point out that Ebenezer McCoy has a black staff named Black Staff. You know, or Dark Staff, perhaps. I'm a little sus. I just don't think this little detail is insignificant, at least. I want to predict that this line about Mother Winter losing her walking stick is going to come bound later. I like that prediction. I didn't even think of that, but I, I'm I'm on board. Dope. Nice. Dope. Nice. So yeah. Alright. Three favorite scenes. Let's let's wrap this up. Can I put up. like a like a least favorite scene first? Because this one that pissed me off, actually. Yes. Okay. Go for it. I read an article once about the difference between men and women. This entire passage. There you go. I have a quote here. Or maybe it wasn't a human slash fairy translation problem at all. Maybe it was a male slash female translation. You know, men versus women. How they have conversation. The layers of conversations on each side. Oh, yeah. Butcher just goes on and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on about this superpower that women have. And, and how men just have this simple conversation about how he was never aware of these conversations that the opposite sex was having and how they were probably men that could do that, but Harry wasn't one of them and that there might be occasionally socially clueless women. And it just goes on and on. And then he goes into the muddy hunter mindset, impeding their layers of conversation. And at this point, I'm just pulling up. What book am I reading right now? Why is this entire passage just shoehorned in here? What was Butcher drinking on the night that he wrote this passage? Dude, it's the exact same f thing he did in Aftermath with with murphy we're like that entire short story was predicated on how like men are so basic and dumb that they just like you know just, communicate in grunts i don't know if i and, just like, like equate it with that i'm just like why uh, this went on but, for like it should have been 40 percent uh, this length why did it go on for two and a half times longer than it should have uh, yeah no I, it was I, unnecessary I was, all right yeah all right favorite scenes yeah. i'll start with third favorite scene yeah, go okay. for it. This is a scene that I spoiled last week for Drew by accident because I got my notes mixed up between Ghost Story and Cold Days. Sorry, Drew. Um, Drew also did the editing to edit this out last week. Um, but Toot Toot as Leonidas standing fast on Harry's chest and fending off the other little fairies. Just pure win. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was waiting to see where that was going to yep. fall in. Because last week there was like this solid nine seconds of silence followed by... What? <laughs> where did that happen? And I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Your yeah. third favorite scene now, my friend. Uh, Harry and Fix find common ground. Oh, yeah. I liked that a lot. In the mist, Fix realizing that Harry was taunting him recognizing the the strategy i liked that scene mm. yeah yeah i had a, a harry versus uh fixed scene that i was considering this is like you know for the first time in a decade the winter night and the summer night went to war you know this is so much in this book yeah. that i want to talk about it and i still haven't but my second favorite scene um i had originally put harry creating this giant ice sheet to raise everyone in the rubble out of the water but then he had an even bigger flex later, and this is one that I appreciated even more. In chapter 43, when he finally meets this terrible godlike figure, this Cthulhu-like figure with his face in the sky, it introduces itself as Gatebreaker, Feargiver, Hope Slayer, He Who Walks Before. And then Harry's response, 
I lifted my staff, and golden white fire began to pour from the carved runes as I gathered my power into it. The air grew chill with winter, and frost formed on the razor-edged blades in my armor. I ground my feet into place, setting them firm, and the glow of soul fire began to emanate from the cracks in the earth around me. I bared my teeth at the hungry sky, flew the bird at it with my free hand, and screamed, Bring it on! Nice. Boom! Nice. Harry Dresden distilled his essence in a bottle yeah. right there. Your second favorite? Some, my second favorite was also a spectacle. Nice. Uh, it was just the vista of the outer gate and the war beyond it. That was such a vivid mental image mm. of of you know these companies of fae marching beyond the wall, uh, the, the just legions on the wall. Um, it, for those who have read the Book of the New Sun, this reminded me greatly of the Wall of Nessus. And and the gate uh, that we see in Shadow of the Torturer, uh, this just unbelievably massive wall where, where, like, whole legions live on and in the wall. It's that big. Mm. And, and then we have the, the kind of eldritch Lovecraftian horror of the Outsiders... It was it was a great, great moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that you brought this up here because this this kind of fits nicely with my favorite scene. And this is okay. Harry and the eldest mothers of summer and winter. And it's obvious yeah. anybody who knows me knows that I'm 100% a sucker for the big picture stuff. And this is like as big picture as it gets in terms of this like this series so far. This conversation with a with two of the most powerful entities in existence is interesting enough on its own, but we're expanding on what we know about the adversary, Capitanim adversary, and the role of winter. This is all gold. These clay jars with the names of all the pla- like the plagues upon them. There's one that Harry broke or sorry, he cracked at least, and yeah. that one has yet to happen or something like that. I'm just I'm totally shameless here. Like I, this is 100% Rob Santos esque. Everything that I want, in terms of building for the future, and and it, this this style of wow, this is way above my pay grade type of scene. This is everything I want. So my favorite scene is chapter 33 by sheer virtue of questions answered, and the questions now that I have to ask, it's just incredible. Nice. So nice. Yeah. And of course, Rashid telling Harry, welcome, Warden Dresden, to the Outer Gates. It's like, oh, yeah. hell yes. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good. So, hell yeah. All right. My favorite scene is is m- more specifically one paragraph. Oh? And this is when uh, Harry and, and Thomas and... You know, they're and Murphy. They're they're all getting ready for the attack. They're all getting ready to head out toward Demon Reach. Karen stared up at me for a second. The rain plastering her hair down. Her face was twisted with agony. Harry, please. She swallowed. I can't leave you alone. Not twice. Mm. 
Not twice. Not twice. Not twice. So nice. That's some good shit right there. Yeah. Yeah. It still does hit. It still hits heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I think... I think that brings us to... Final draft. I do think so. Yeah. And I'll go first. I have a... I finally have a somewhat worthy, at least, final entry, or final draft entry, I should say, to include. This here is a, and I quote, a Session NEIPA, which I would assume stands for New England IPA. That is correct. From Prince Eddie's Brewing Company. Um, it is, I, I cannot honestly distinguish with my particular palate the difference between this and many other IPAs that I've had. It's obviously as an IPA very, very strong and it's very bitter. It's very foamy. It was, it was nice, but it was also a, a little weak. I had a second one as well, but this here <laughs> is dedicated to Harry and this is dedicated to his new place of residence at the end of this novel, the Island and demon reach. More importantly, now that he's mm. got, Dozens of hallways and hundreds of magnificent imprisoned beasties to keep him company going forward into what I'm sure is a bountiful and wholesome new adventure together. This one here is called So Many Friends. <laughs> right here. Oh boy. Oh and boy. <laughs> it was awesome. So, yeah. That's what I've been drinking. A couple nice. of these New England IPAs. What nice. about you, man? Well, I'm drinking something a little different. I'm drinking a a hard seltzer from Upslope Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. Mmm. Uh, 5%. This is a ginger and yuzu hard seltzer. Ooh. And if I'm going to be honest, it's, I, I don't like it very much. <laughs> okay. It, it's just not my thing. Um... But I liked the name. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was fun considering the the theme of this book as far as Harry goes. Uh, you know his his work to get out from under the omnipresent threat of slavery to winter. It is called Snowmelt. Oh, damn! That is still good though. Yeah. That's still good, though. I, I I wish it tasted as good as it sounded like. As the name, <laughs> it's fine. It, well, no, I can't even. Say. It's it's not very <laughs> got you, good. Got you, got you. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, I believe next up we are heading right into skin game. Yes, we might have. Another episode, like a, a one-off thing, pop in there, but I don't think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do want to point out that all of my notes in this episode were written before I went into Skin Game. I th oh, that's good. I, I have I, not I started Skin Game. I, I am at this point, like, three-quarters of the way through Skin Game. Um... But I, I still definitely want to mention that all of my notes, all of these were written before I went into this next book. <laughs> okay. So, okay. all right. I'm going to shut well, up yeah. now, though. 
So, uh, so this has been episode 148 of mm. Making Out Loud podcast. Oh my goodness. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, or if you want to do a one-time donation, check us out on Coffee. that is ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. Um, you know, that support means a, a whole lot to us. You know, we recently hit a a pretty incredible milestone. We, we, we passed 100,000 all-time downloads, and... And look, that that just plain never would have happened without the support of our patrons. So That's thank insane. you so much. Yeah, yeah, and 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 not only did we pass a hundred thousand, but in the span of about two weeks, we went from about ninety eight thousand to over a hundred and ten thousand. Uh, things have gotten insane. Just think about that. The oh, like yeah. the the next milestone, the next order of magnitude, is million. Wow. <laughs> that's the we'll next. <laughs> that's the next step. So we're, we're, I, I don't. We're, I don't. I don't know. You know how listen, long it will take us to get to a million, but it may take uh, ten years. That's a lot of. That's a lot of downloads. But <laughs> that's that's like another three hundred episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But maybe uh, more. Yeah. Yeah. So we are we are very grateful for all the support of our patrons, and we hope. You know any of our listeners out there who aren't yet patrons? Uh, you know, consider supporting the show. Uh, it it really goes a long way uh, to you know helping us keep this thing going. So, as always, I have been your host Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>